Okay, if you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Last week, like I said, we started looking at a new section of the gospel of Luke, and we were looking at the big idea that uh, when we come to Jesus, part of knowing him and following him is that he gives our lives a mission, and that mission gives our lives a meaning. And we as people, regardless of what you believe or where you're from, we're wired for meaning. We look for the meaning of our lives and the meaning of why that we're here. And we saw last week that though many of us have the means to live, might have a job or food or shelter or whatever it may be, we, we struggle with our meaning to live for. And so the way our world offers us kind of here's the path to meet that need is, what, what are you passionate about? What are you interested in? What makes you happy? You know, those things. And if we pursue those, supposedly that's our meaning. But if you actually try that, and we talked about this last week, if you try that, that is a soul-crushing weight to bear. To be forced to figure out the meaning of your own life based on, well, I don't know if this way is right, or am I really going to like this that long, or is this what I'm supposed to do? It's just so overwhelming. It's probably part of the reason why we have such a big problem with anxiety in our culture is we're just trying to figure out life on our own. But when we come to Jesus, he frees us from having to make a meaning of our life and discover that, and he actually gives us a meaning. He gives us a mission to live for, and that mission gives our lives meaning. It's part of the goodness of who he is, is that we can come to him and be freed from that heavy weight of defining our own lives and be set free to live in relationship with our creator and our created purpose. It's the life you and I were made for. And we saw last week that that mission is three-dimensional in nature. It's a mission to know Jesus. It's a mission to enjoy God. We see in the scriptures over and over and over again that it says that in his presence is fullness of joy. And knowing him is real, true life. Life as it's meant to be lived. And we're called to know him. And we're called to enjoy him. And it is a high calling that Jesus has given us. We're also called not just to know him, but to be transformed by him. That you are destined in Jesus to be transformed from glory to glory to glory. You have a high calling on your life. I want you to know that today. You have a high calling on your life. The third aspect, though, is that we're not just called up to know him, to, to upward. We're not just called inward, but we're pushed outward. We're sent outward. That he's building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, and we're called to play a part in that. We're called to be on mission with Jesus. And I want to talk to you more about that mission today. And my hope today is that you leave inspired in your faith, that you walk out of here with fresh inspiration, and you leave being equipped in your calling, that you have a better idea of how to live on mission if you've not done that before. Or if you've been doing that, you feel like, man, I, I got reminded of some things that are really important, or I got encouraged around some things that I want to try, and we'll be spurred on together. Does that sound good? Now, I want to tell you, it may be cold outside, rainy outside, sleeting outside. I don't know what it is right now, but it's been fiery in here all morning, and it's going to be fiery as we look at Jesus in his word. And so I want you to go ahead and prepare your hearts and prepare your face, right? We're not the frowning people. We're into this, okay? So lean forward. Don't lean back. Let's go. So Luke chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus speaking, and it says this. It says, after this, the Lord, being Jesus, appointed 72 others 
And he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus is sending out his disciples. He's sending them out, not just with him, but now he's sending them out ahead of him that they are to be on mission, on his mission. If you'll flip in your Bibles for just a second to Matthew chapter 28, just flip. If you're in Luke, you want to go back one book or two books rather, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just go back two books, Matthew 28. We see kind of a clearer picture of what, this is an early incident of what Jesus is building toward in the lives of his disciples. Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is verse 18. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. And what we see here in Luke 10, what we're reading about Jesus sending out the 72, is kind of a foretaste of that. It's the beginning of that. It's the beginning of his disciples stepping in to this third dimension of the mission that Jesus has for them. And I remember very clearly where I was when I first heard this passage of scripture. I remember so clearly, uh, I was in college, I was a sophomore in college, I just started going to a small group, a life group. I wasn't even going to the church yet, but I had a friend in class who invited me to go to his life group, and I went, and it was what I was looking for. It was people my age who were worshiping Jesus, and they were passionate about knowing him, and they were living out their faith. And that's what I was hungry for. I was hungry to see people actually take the words of scripture and live them out. So I was like, man, this is awesome. And my life group leader, uh, the guy who was leading the group, initiated with me after I'd been there a few weeks, said, hey, you want to go to dinner? I said, sure. We sit down and we're talking and uh, he reads me this passage of scripture, Matthew 28. He says, Zach, I'm trying to follow Jesus and Jesus here has told me uh, that I need to be a part of making disciples. And so I'm trying to do that, and I want to know, would you let me disciple you? Now, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it meant to be a disciple, but I was, thought it was so cool that here's this guy trying to live out the words of Scripture. So I was like, well, sure, I don't know what that means, but, but I'll be that, you know, and you can disciple me, and we'll see what happens, right? And so we started meeting, and it was, it was encouraging. Like, he would encourage me in my faith. I'd leave inspired. He'd build me up. And then after a few weeks... He said, hey, now let's look at this scripture again. And I want you to look at it, but I want you to read it now for yourself. So I'm reading it. And he's like, you get that right? That, that it's not just him, my leader, that was called to go make disciples. But he said, you're called, Zach, to go make disciples. What, what, what are you going to do with that? What do you think God wants you to do in your life with that? And it was like a light switch went on for me. Have you ever had one of those times where it's just like something clicked and maybe you'd heard it before, but it was like, oh, you ever had that? That's what it was like for me. And I realized my whole entire Christian walk up into that point had been about consumption. I had been, where was the best worship service? I was there. Where was the best Bible study? I was there. I was like in 20 of them. I mean, I was just like a junkie, right? <laughs> what were the best Christian books? I'm going to read those. Like I was just feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And it was awesome. And that was a needed part of my journey. But what I realized there was God had more for me than just to be a consumer. Consumption is important. 
right? We are what we eat, both physically and spiritually, right? But we're called more than to just consume. We're called to contribute. And I saw in that moment that God had a plan for my life that was about me contributing to building the kingdom of God, where I was. Wow. God had a plan for me to be a part of making disciples where I was. I didn't know what that really meant, but it was really significant for me. It marked my life. It was like a turning point in my life. So I said, well, I'm just going to, I don't know, I guess I need to get to doing this. I didn't really know what to do. And so I thought, well, now who could I disciple? And I remember this guy from high school that was a couple years younger than me that looked up to me. And I was like, I bet I could get hit. I could convince him to let me disciple him. That was my thought. And then there was a new guy in our life group. There was a new believer. And I was like, well, I bet, I bet, you know, he's a year younger than I am. I bet I could disciple, you know, him. So that was where I was going to start. I was just going to kind of go for it. And let me tell you, it was terrible. It was so bad. Like if you, if you've ever tried to step out and do something you feel like God called you to, and then it's like, man, this is terrible. That's what I experienced. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but here's what I tried to do with the first guy from high school. I told him a plan. We set up a time. The only time we could figure out to meet was six 30 in the morning. Now as a college student and a high school student, I mean, that's just not a great time to have a life-changing meeting, right? And I didn't really know what I was doing in the actual meeting. And so Monday night would come around. Our meeting was on Tuesday morning. And I'd be like, oh, no, it's Monday night again. Oh, no. Um, Lord, please, could he forget that it's Tuesday? Could he forget that we're doing this? Could he sleep through his life praying all these prayers? Because I was so nervous about it. I just didn't know what to do, right? And so I would wake up on, on Tuesday morning maybe around 6.25 or something getting started at 6.30, uh, you know, those days. And uh, he had a very loud car that you could hear coming up the street. And so I would lay there in my bed. This was pre-text message days. I'd lay there in my bed and listen for the rumble. That lets you knew he was there. If that rumble never came, I didn't have to do it. And so it was really challenging trying to step out. It was not very fruitful. The Lord did some things, but it was like, Man, this is uh, maybe not all it's cracked up to be. Second person I was trying to disciple this new believer. He was from another country. He'd grown up in another religion. So this was all new to him. No Christian framework or background. And so I decided to start, most obvious place to start in reading the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation. I said, hey, we'll start here. Now, if you're not laughing, the reason why is you need to know the book of Revelation is maybe the hardest book in the Bible to understand. So I'm starting him like at double black diamond, you know, skiing like Christianity. And he's like, I just wanted to sign up to like learn how to do the bunny slope, you know? But that's where I started. I didn't know better. I didn't understand what it meant. He didn't understand what it meant. So our meetings were kind of like very uh, challenging. Let's put it that way. And I was like, man, there's something in this, but I'm just not good. I'm not very fruitful at this. This is really hard. And my church was putting on a training around making disciples that they invited me to come to. And it was to be a part of these discipleship communities they called Life Group, what I was in. And they're saying, hey, I want you to come alongside. I want to teach you. You showed you want to go for it. Now let's teach you kind of how to do this, right? And so that's what they were doing. And I want to tell you about that training in a minute. But look what Jesus does next, because he kind of does the same thing with his disciples. He's sending them out in Luke 10. Verse 1, 
right? And these people have said, yes, we're in. Let's go for it. We want to be on mission with you, Jesus. But they have no idea what to do. They're like me. They're like, I don't know who to go to or what to say or how do we do this. They might be like you if you're new to this, right? And so Jesus gives them the starting point in making disciples. He gives them the first thing to do. We're going to look at that in just a second. We're going to talk about that today. And then next week, we're going to look at part two of kind of how do you get going? How do you get started in making disciples? Look what he says in verse two. He says, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Meaning God is on the move. God is transforming lives. There's not many people who want to jump in though on the mission. The issue is not the, the, the demand of people wanting Jesus. The issue is supply of people that can go and help them come to know him, right? So then look what he says. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, meaning God himself, ask God, that's prayer. Ask God, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So starting block, starting place for people making disciples in the way of Jesus was prayer. So interesting to think about. Prayer was where they were supposed to start. We actually see this in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, this is the way he not only instructed others to make disciples, but this is the way he himself went about it. So flip back in your Bible, four chapters to Luke chapter 6. It says this, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Wow, Jesus is praying all night. You wonder, what is that about? Well, it tells you in verse 13. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, and he designated them apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so Jesus here is seeking the Father's will. He's praying, and he's talking with his Father about, okay, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. God, who are the people that you're calling me, Father, to invest in? Who am I to build with? And he comes out of that time with wisdom and insight. It was prayer was his starting place. So back to my story, I go to this training on making disciples, and I'm expecting they're going to teach me a cool method. I'm expecting they're going to give me some knowledge, some stats, some stories that's going to kind of spice this thing up. And you know what they talked about the most? Prayer. And I was very intrigued by this. See, my experience with prayer up until this point was uh, we prayed over meals, right? Thank you, God, for this food. I prayed when things were really, really bad. Oh, God, please help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. How many of y'all prayed that prayer before, right? We know that prayer, okay? I had prayed uh, in high school when I was afraid. I would pray at night and ask God to protect us, and I would envision like this force field coming over my house. It was like I was turning on the, the, the Holy Spirit burglar alarm. I didn't really know what I was doing, but that's at least what I thought. That was the extent of what I understood about prayer, and I'd seen people talk about, well, you pray in your times with the Lord. And I, I kind of had that, but this was different. 
Here they were talking about praying in such a way that it seemed they believed that power was released as God's people prayed. And that a prayerless disciple maker was a fruitless disciple maker. And light started coming on for me again of, oh, maybe I got started in this wrong. I was just trying to go out and do something. Maybe I should have spent more time praying about it on the front end, similar to what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 10 with his disciples. So I started helping to lead this group. They were going to apprentice me in this disciple-making group, life group, and they were going to teach me how to do it. And so I said, great. Uh, when do we get started? And they said, well, our meeting is on Wednesday at 7. And I said, perfect. What time do I show up? Like 6.50? And they said, oh, no, no, no. Uh, you need to show up at 5.30. I was like, 5.30? What are we going to do for an hour and a half before life group? They said, oh, we're going to pray. And I was like, we're going to pray that long? Like, I just had no grid for it. So I said, okay. Uh, I showed up late, you know, because I was a little intimidated by the length of time that we were supposed to be there. So I show up around 5.45. I walk up to the house. I'd been there a million times. This time, though, there's music on so loud. You would have thought it was a fraternity house having a party. I mean, it was just out into the street, worship music, just so loud. And I get close to the door and I can hear people inside like they're yelling, but it's not fighting. They're, they're doing something. I have no idea. I, I ring the doorbell. No one answers. I knock. No one answers. I'm like, oh, I, I don't think they can hear me because the music's up so loud. So I open the door. And into their house, it came straight into the living room, if you've seen those type of houses before. So I open the door, and the female leader of the group, she's walking toward me. Her eyes are closed. She has one hand up in the air like she's karate chopping something. <laughs> and she is praying the, the most fiery prayers I have ever heard. And I'm like, oh, goodness, did, did y'all expect me to be coming? Like it was, it was just an interesting introduction to the group. And that's what they would do. Every week, they would spend that focused time, not just kind of praying, but praying earnestly. Like they believed that power was being released through their prayers. Now, our life group, uh, it was, you know, an awkward group at times. There were strange conversations that would happen. There were strange people at times in our life group. Uh, but there was power there. The presence of God was there. And we would see students come in who you could tell had just been broken by life. And in the presence of God, in the place of worship, as we prayed and ministered to people, you'd see people transformed. You'd see years literally come off of people's faces. And I just watched it with my own eyes. And I was like, this is what I was lacking. This is where the power comes from for making disciples. And so they said, okay, you, you kind of, we apprenticed you. Now you need to lead your own group. And they gave me, uh, they connected me with two other uh, uh, leaders to lead with. These two ladies that were very fiery. Uh, through one of them, I met my wife. So that's a bonus for stepping into that. And so we decided to do the same thing that we've been taught to do. Our meeting will be at 7. We'll pray at 5.30. And so we would show up at the, there was a prayer chapel at the Baptist Student Union building on our campus that you could get into. And we would go there and we would pray. And I was new. I didn't really know what was going on, but these were like women that made that movie War Room. If you've seen that about prayer, they made War Room look like child's play. I mean, they were like going for it. It's a great place for me to learn. And what I saw was the same thing happen in our group. 
Sometimes it was awkward. Sometimes there were random people. Sometimes it didn't seem like it flowed together. Yet the power and the presence of Jesus was there to transform lives. And it was amazing. And I remember we had one student as an example who came, who was not a Christian. He visited Life Group. He went home to his uh, you know, dorm that week. And during that week, he had a dream. An angel came to him and said, you need to listen to the people at Life Group. They have news you need to hear. So he came back next week. Hey, what's the news at Life Group? Can you guys explain this to me? And he, he became a follower of Jesus and God transformed his lives like right in front of us. It was amazing. It was this prayer deal. And I want to share a couple illustrations with you that I think help make this uh, make sense. I like to work out. I don't know if you do, but I like to work out. I believe in it. I know it's good for me. So I try and work out. I've got a goal uh, five days a week that I'm going to work out for at least 20 minutes. And even though I like this and I believe in it, uh, what I've realized though, the battle for me working out, it doesn't actually happen at the workout itself. The battle for me working out happens beforehand. Sparrow, can you bring me those shoes, Johnny? Sorry you had to touch my running shoes. Um, it happens beforehand. It takes me setting these shoes out, making a commitment to it, making a counter to it, making sure I have my workout clothes with me. It's things you wouldn't expect or things you wouldn't see or things you, you wouldn't know about, but this is the secret behind the habit, right? Is if I set this out, it's going to happen. If I don't set this out, it's not going to happen. What I learned from Jesus, what we see here in Scripture what I learned from this training and these, these people that influenced me was that prayer was like that. It's invisible. It's beforehand. It's not something that you're going to see right in the moment, but it's that thing done in secret that makes a big impact on what's public. It's that thing done in secret that makes a big impact on what's done in public. Second illustration I heard that really helped me is, Spare, if you can bring me that water bottle, Thank you, ma'am. So look at this water bottle. I've got a lot of water here. I try and drink a lot of water. That's why I buy this big bottle, because I figure I'll drink it all day, and I feel good about drinking a lot of water. In this water, in this bottle, is water that can satisfy my thirst, satisfy many of yours thirsts, could water many plants, could do a whole lot of things with, could clean a lot of things. There's a lot of potential in this bottle. Now, the way in which you get the potential to come out, right, is unscrewing the top. And then you can take a drink. You can pour some out to water something, you know. You can do any number of things, right? How bizarre would it be if I came to you guys and I was like, man, I'm so thirsty for water, and I've got all these plants that I need to water. I've got all these things that I need to clean, and I just can't get any water. I'm so frustrated. You guys would be like, um, hello. I think you just unscrew the top, man. You've got water. It's provided. You just need to unscrew the top. In many ways, prayer is like that. Like God has appointed prayer to be one of the means, maybe the primary means through which he wants to release energy to build the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. It's through prayer. And so many times, right, we have prayerless lives. 
where we do things that like, I think this is good. I think this will serve God, but I haven't prayed about it. I don't really know. I haven't taken time to really soak this in prayer. And we don't take time to unlock the power of prayer. And so when we're talking about making disciples, when we're talking about building the kingdom, we're talking about the starting place of prayer. And coming to God and saying, just like Jesus did, okay, a whole lot of people in my life, uh, who do you want me to invest in? Where do you want me to go, Father? What do you want me to do? We're starting there. If you just try and do this in your own strength, you'll do it for two days and then you'll quit. Because you'll be like me and you'll be like, man, this is hard. I don't know what to do. It's at 6.30 in the morning, maybe. I just, you know, you'll quit. But if you'll pray there's grace and power released there that you can step out in faith and it'll be fruitful. Prayer doesn't work like up and to the right all the time. It's not like that, you know, that stock market graph that you'd like to see. It's not like that. It's circuitous. It's like this. It's jumbled all together and then somehow in the end there's, there's fruit and it's like, wow, right? So don't think it's like a formula, but it is something that when we invest in it, we unleash the power of Jesus through our lives to build his kingdom here. In our, in our city, in our nation, in the nations of the earth. That's really exciting. So I want you to come back next week because we're going to take this concept of prayer and we're going to talk about, well, now, what am I praying for? Who am I looking for? How does this kind of flesh itself out? Because Jesus gives his disciples very clear instructions here on where to go, who to look for, like all of those things, what even to pray for. And we see Jesus seems to have gotten very clear direction from the Father on who to invest in, right? And we need that same kind of help. So we don't just need to know we need to pray, but we need to know what do we need to pray for? What do we need to look for? That's going to be next week, okay? So I want you to come back because we're going to grow together and take a step together. But today, the big idea is that prayer releases the power of the kingdom. And it's the starting point in making disciples, now, I want to lead all of us now as we kind of come to the close of this message. We've learned this year that God's word, which we've looked at this morning, is not just a word. It's a seed that's being sown into our lives as we gather. It's a seed with power, with potential, and with provision. It's an investment that God the Father is making in you and me. Your Heavenly Father is investing in you today. And it has power, and we don't want to leave here and just kind of let the seed fall away. We want to take time to let it sink deep and to respond. So I want to lead us in a time of response. This is a new way we're going to close our services this year uh, that I think is going to help us step more into who God is calling us to be. If you're here today and you're, you're like, well, the making disciples part, okay, I don't even think I am a disciple of Jesus. I don't know Jesus or I don't I'm not sure, or maybe I, I did, you know, I, I, I was into this when I was a kid and I've fallen away, or maybe you were into it for a while and you fell away as an adult and you're trying to make it back and it's just been a long time. I want to speak specifically to you for a few minutes about something that I think will help you kind of connect the dots and step into something really meaningful for your lives. When we look at Jesus, uh, Jesus points out something that we all know, that our world is a very broken place. We have broken lives, our hearts are broken, our headlines are broken, there's brokenness all around us. But Jesus also points out that this is not the way it always was. That when God created the world, that God created the world perfect. 
that he created the world as a place of peace and goodness and truth and beauty. And look, you can believe that God created it through evolution or the Big Bang or something else, but the big idea is that God created the world and he created the world perfect. It's his perfect design. And he made you and me in that world in his image. That we're designed to look like him and to represent him. And we're made to live life and life to the full. What mankind decided to do, Jesus teaches us, is that we decided instead of receiving that gift of life, we said, God, I think we'll take it from here. I'd like to do things on my own terms. I'd like to be my own king. I don't really need a king. I'd like to be my own creator. I want to create my own life. I don't really need you to tell me what to do. And when mankind did that, when we turned from God to ourselves, what that unleashed in our lives and in our world was the brokenness of sin. And it destroys people and it destroys families. Sin destroys generations and destroys nations. And you can see that all around. It makes us spiritually dead. Though we may be alive physically, we're spiritually dead. And we're in bondage. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. In Jesus, the maker of man, the one who created us, became man for us and for our salvation. And when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price for your sin and mine. He paid the price for the sin of the whole world. Could be put on his shoulders. All the wrongs that could be done could be reckoned into him. And when he rose again, he released power for new life, not just forgiveness of sin, but new life that we could be restored to God's perfect design. He said to anyone who believed in him, who would turn and say, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I don't want to be my own king. I don't want to be my own creator. Jesus, I want the life that you're leading and the life that you have. I want you to be my king, you to be my creator. He said to anyone who would turn, who would repent like that and put their trust in him, he would breathe new life on them that experience forgiveness of sin and spiritual birth and new life. And they'd be restored to grow into their God-given purpose and identity. And if you're here today, I want to invite everyone just to bow your head for a moment. If you're here today and you've never done that, we have people in the first service say, I've never done this. I, I want to do this. If you've never done that or it, you've been away, you've been like, I, I've just been away for a long time, but I'm coming back. I want to give you an opportunity to respond here. We're not going to call you up on stage. We're not going to put your name on a billboard or anything like that. This is an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I want this gift of life. You say to him, I'm just going to invite you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray a short prayer together to help you take that step. So if that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. If everybody keep their heads bowed just for privacy. Okay, if that's you, I want you to uh, pray with me now. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I repent of being the king of my own life. I receive your forgiveness and I receive the new life that you have for me need you and I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make and we're really excited for you. For all of us, uh, we want to take time to respond together by taking communion and responding in worship. So I want to invite you to stand. Our officiants are going to come to the front of the sanctuary and they'll have the elements, the bread and the cup. And when you come,
I want you to take it and return to your seat. And as we worship, I want you to remember God's initiative and his goodness towards you in Jesus. And I want you to remember your commitment to following him, to growing into who he's made you to be. So if you'll stand, I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that you give us a mission that gives our lives meaning. Thank you that you initiated with us, Lord, that you came in your goodness and your kindness to us as we sang earlier. Lord, and we commit ourselves afresh again to you today. Lord, to follow you and to grow into who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come forward when you're ready.
You're the king and you're the center of it all 